Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are so excited to be speaking to um, to Andrew Saito about his new play, uh, Brer Peach, which is opening at Alter Theater uh, next week. And on the air is uh, Michael uh, Jean Sullivan, one of our favorite Ah, really favorite guests. Both of them are. Um, they've been on multiple times, and and we're going to be joined in a few minutes, I presume, by another member of the cast of this great play, which is like, oh my goodness, what an exercise in collaborative work, um, Andrew. Wow, um, you know all of these different key players involved in being able to bring this work to life, which you rewrote, um, you know, for an audio uh, presentation. I bet that was a lot of work. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, mm-hmm. thank you, Wanda. I will say that in a way I feel like I wrote it for the audio presentation because when the, uh, the radio opportunity came about last year, um, the play was in a much earlier stage. And so one of the great um, things has been, you know, the audio production gave me great incentive to, dare I say, it was already finished, but it was a pale version of what it currently is. And so the collaboration of Michael and Reza, who will join us, and particularly I want to shout out um, Ivan Adiberia, Artistic Director of Partner, Parsnipship, the producing mm-hmm. partner with yeah. Culture Theater. Ivan served as dramaturg along with um, um, uh, another awesome dramaturg in the early stages named S.B., um, I will get you Espy's full name right now, um, um, but 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 their dramaturgy of Ivan and Espy was really really um, crucial. Espy Proctor. They, they're both in New York, so this is also a both a bicoastal nationwide because <laughs> we have an actor, Crystal Lucas Perry, in in Detroit, and I'm in Mexico. Mm. I'm in Mexico for months now. And You're in Mexico? Like oh wow! A, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, mm. but, but the collaborative aspect has been totally. Totally, totally fundamental and central to the to the play reaching its current form. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Risa, um, Risa, how, uh, Risa, Risa. How do you pronounce your name? It's Ressa. Ressa. Okay. And how do you mm-hmm. pronounce your last name, Ressa? Machina. Machina. Yeah. And you are the kid. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Correct. With the, with the with the magic peach. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with the magic speech. (laughs) (laughs) I can hardly wait to hear you all bring this work to life. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Um, Michael, you play so many different roles as uh, an incarnate spirit. Um, You know, you're having a lot more fun in in the new uh, way you can choose different bodies as opposed to the old body. (laughs) That was tired of being a mailman. Yeah, it it was interesting. I mean, there was one part we were when we went back um, last week, and we were you know re-recording some lines, trying to get everything just right before it's going to actually get all put together. And mm-hmm. and I was being asked to go back. I was like, well, can we get this one line from you? And I was like, yeah, sure. Can I go back and do that one line? And then I was like, well, why don't we do the lines going into it and the lines coming out of it? And I was like, all right. And then I realized actually those were all my lines. I had the line recorded <laughs> as one character. You know, as like Br'er Cicada, and then I had to do the catfish line. Then I had to come back as somebody else, and I was just like, 
Oh, God. It's fun doing it, but, you know, it's getting a chance to really – you can stretch in a lot of ways doing radio in a way that, that it's difficult to do or impossible to do mm-hmm. on stage. But it'll drive you a little crazy. Mm, right. Not that it was a <laughs> long so trip funny. for me, but – yeah, yeah. Um, I I really want to hear catfish. Uh, catfish sounds pretty pretty phenomenal. But then possum does too, playing dead all the time. <laughs> well, that, yeah, I, I had to play. I didn't get to play possum. You know, we had we we had an uh, uh, actor in uh, New York. Uh, oh, what's his name? Kevis, who uh-huh. played who played possum. But I had to play. I played possum when he was uh, um, uh, possessed. By the dead spirit right. of Waylon. Right. So I had to keep mm-hmm. popping. It, it was like I said, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Andrew did a great job of writing all of these very, very varied characters for us in this adventure. Mm-hmm. Well, thank yeah. you, Michael. Coming from you, a fellow very, very accomplished playwright, that is high praise indeed. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe for our audience that doesn't know what we're talking about, maybe we should start with what is this play about Andrew and then and then um I'll read your bios <laughs> great um so this play is rare peach is an adaptation of somebody the typing? Japanese oh sorry that was me sorry yeah oh, okay um <laughs> it's an adaptation of the Japanese fable of peach boy uh or in Japanese momotaro and um, Grace, I feel free to jump in and fill in because uh, okay. you're probably more familiar. But I, this is uh, growing up, so I'm half Japanese, Japanese American on my father's side. Yonsei, I'm Yonsei, which means fourth generation. So my my um, Japanese half of the family came from, over to the California from Japan in the early, in between the 1890s and the early 1900s, right, just at the turn mm-hmm. of the century, and. Um, but I, w- I grew up uh, not with tons of Japanese culture, but with this one book of Japanese called Japanese Children's Favorite Stories. And the, I had like a dozen or 15 illustrated stories. But the one that was my perpetual favorite was Peach Boy. And it was staple of me growing up. And Raisa, can you brief, would you be open to briefly summarizing Momotaro, the legend? Yeah. Yeah, so um, Peach Boy or Momotaro is a very, very famous, Japanese fable, kind of like Little Red Riding Hood or something. Like everyone grows up reading it or hearing it or seeing it in some way or form. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's about a story. Um, it starts with two elderly couple, um, and they're you know they they don't have a child. Um, and one day the 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 husband goes to the mountains to, you know, harvest things. And then while the wife goes down to the river to wash some clothes, and then a giant peach just flows down on the river to her surprise. She grabs it. She takes it home with her husband, and they're both like, what is this? I guess we'll eat it. It's it's a big peach. Um, And when they slice it open, a baby boy basically comes out or jumps out from the peach pit and um, they decide to raise uh, the boy as their own. Uh, The boy quickly grows up and then one day decides that he wants to go um, 
what's the correct word? Go go fight some oni. And onis are Japanese um, giants, I guess. And mm-hmm. they're usually like the you know the bad evil beasts. Um, but on his way to oh yeah, and on his way um, on the journey, he recruits a dog. Uh, uh, a bird and a monkey, and they all go to this <laughs> one island that has these uh, big giants, and then they fight them, and then they win, and the giants give them a lot of jewelry and money um, um, because they're defeated. And then, and then Momotaro, the peach boy, gets to bring all the fortune back to his parents. And that's how the story ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you really updated um Andrew with a version of <clears throat> of of shopping online. Oh yes. <laughs> only only well, only but... it's um only it's a program and I've heard it. They call it I know I've heard friends say Alexa do this, Alexa do that. I don't know what that means. I mean cuz I don't have Alexa. But wow, um technology it really uh, is personified in the work, and and I'm just just wondering, as as audience, whoa, doesn't Vonda see what's going on? And Vonda is uh, <laughs> is, is uh, Waylon's uh, wife, um, Michael's wife, and um, yeah, yeah, that's really crazy. Maybe well, we, you could talk a little bit about that. But yes, I will address the technology, but let me take a little detour to go into the, uh, a very significant update of this play, which is, so the play takes place in Gwinnett County, Georgia, which is maybe 30 or 40 minutes outside of Atlanta. And mm-hmm. I have been going to Georgia to visit family of mine for, since I was in sixth grade, if not earlier, I think I was like 11 or 12, my, the first time I went to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so my... So I talk about my dad's side of the family from Japan. My mom's side of the family traces its roots to Ireland and Austria. Came to the U.S. around a similar time, late 1800s, early 1900s. My mom was the oldest of seven, seven white American siblings. Both she and pretty much all of her six siblings married people of color. Um, you know, some of her siblings married, have, have black spouses. Some of her siblings have have. Latino spouses, and so I was very. I became very close with um, years ago with a um, with my black uncle who's from Southern Georgia, who now lives in this in Gwinnett County. And so I've it's been like a second home for a long time. And and so there I, I would go and visit many times. And there I was, this half Japanese kid from California, living with my black uncle and. My white, my white aunt, who is one of my mom's younger sisters. And so um, Georgia has, in addition, you know, I'm from California, Georgia has been a very sort of defining place during my, really my adolescence, right, my late childhood and adolescence. And um, I've lived there a couple of times. And so, um, and so it was in San Francisco years, like 2008, summer of 2008, right before I went to um, for grad school and playwriting at the University of Iowa, I was doing a Bikram yoga class near Haight-Ashbury, and um, and I had this. It was at the hot yoga. They heat the, they heat the room really hot, and you could do yoga. And I 
uh, had this sudden vision during Savasana or corpse pose in the hot, hot kind of stinky room, sweaty room, of writing a play that was that set this peach boy, Momotaro, peach boy, the Japanese folktale of the boy born from the peach in Georgia, the peach state. And, oh, um, nice. and so that's why, because it has this peach connection, and also I have a lot yes. of history in Georgia, and I have this beloved black uncle, and then all of his sisters, and I've been down to Tipton, Georgia, and the southern Georgia many times, basically often being... Um, we're always being the only Asian person there, but often, you know, the times when my aunt didn't come, being the only non-black person present, right? And mm-hmm. and, and and those being extraordinarily special moments, and you know, in like in my 20s in particular, going down there for like Thanksgiving or my uncle's mother's, you know, birthdays. Uh, she's since passed away, but, um, you know, and so the play is the, the vision was that it was going to be a a fusion of of Japanese and Southern Black cultures and folklores, and also, um, um, you know, also highlighting my love for Georgia. And this kind of fell out of the, the vision, but but Georgia and Atlanta in particular is a very multicultural, international city, and so I also wanted to highlight Georgia's diversity. Again, that kind of fell by the wayside. But then the Amazon thing entered because was, I was spent a couple months in Georgia last fall, this past fall. And one thing is I drove, I, a couple of times I drove by what once was this big expanse of forest and um, there was oh. a lot of clear cutting going on to build an Amazon fulfillment center. So that's how the Amazon mm. aspect and Alexa and the technology oh. entered the play. Oh, wow. And, and it's so apropos that the play will be opening right now because of the the union um, unionizing of of the Amazon employees because of how horrifically they're being treated by the um, <clears throat> the administ- well the uh, yeah the company uh, administrators around around breaks and and even you know payment particularly when people get sick. Uh, so it's so it's like perfect timing that this will be happening, mm. and I, I hope they are able to to be able to formalize that union because it'll be the first union in the company, uh, you know, in Alabama. Not, excuse me, not not Georgia, but it's still in the South, not far. <laughs> I mean, Alabama's not far from Georgia. So so it's just really you know sort of lifts that particular um, activity um, or action, you know, sort of in. I guess what do you call it? Reinforces it, which is in a good way. Mm. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Oh wow, wow! So many wonderful um, connections, and I'm like, wow, your your bio pales in comparison. <laughs> 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 um, but I'm going to read it, and then we could talk more. Uh, and and uh, Michael, um, you are a veteran around radio. Um, uh, drama because you you've done it before, <laughs> and so yeah, anyway, well, kind of um, like it. So many of us have all, all of a sudden uh, <laughs> in the last yeah. year. It's like people people that had never done a radio pay, play before were suddenly like veterans of radio plays because we've done you know dozens of them now in the last twelve months. <laughs> Right. So Andrew uh, Saito began developing um, 
Blair Peach in Alter Theater's 2016-2017 Alter Lab Playwright Residency Program. A year-long residency program, Alter Lab supports um, three to five writers in each cohort and has included MacArthur Genius Award winner uh, Larissa Fasthorse, um, I guess Rella or Rila Lossy uh, Award winner Diana um, Diana with Diana. <clears throat> Make sure I get that done. Oh, Diana um, uh, Burbano, uh, USA Pen Literary Award winner in drum, drama, drama um, Michelle Carter and. Relentless Award semifinalist Star Finch. Uh, where's your bio? Oh, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> um, Andrew is an internationalist playwright who focuses on indigenous and cross-racial stories, which we are definitely um, know about because of the way you introduce how you came to write this particular one, Andrew, about the Peach Boy. <laughs> your version of that great story. Um, hybridity uh, is another one of your, your focuses and struggles against colonialism and its long lingering footprints. You have worked <clears throat> with uh, Peru's uh, legendary theater collective, Grupo Cultural. Uh, Yuyakani. Cuba's Conjunto Cultural. Uh, Corey Macau and the Association yeah. and Association. How do you pronounce it? Uh, let me let me pronounce it. Association um, Shahotun. That's how you pronounce it. There's a lot of Shahotun. Yeah, yeah. I know. I don't know how to do them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, Rabanal Guatemala, culture bears of the Rabanal. Achi or Ache named intangible cultural patron, uh, patrimony of humanity by UNESCO. You hold the MFA from the Iowa uh, Playwrights Workshop, which you already mentioned, and you were a full black, Fulbright scholar in Papua New Guinea. From 2013 to 2016, you were Andrew W. Mellon resident playwright at Cutting Ball Theater, which I think is where I met you formally, and we had one Indeed. of my first conversations, and we've had, it was like a lot of years ago, uh, <laughs> which produced your play Crispy Critters in the Scarlet Night, Mount Misery, um, and your translation of uh, Calderon de la Barca's Life is a Dream, and I'm just like killing all of this. And you're, you know, you're like a polyglot. You speak all kinds of languages, right? I mean, you love language. I, I speak four. I speak four languages. It feels like not enough, but yeah, I speak four. Although Japanese is not one of them. Oh, not yet, right? Not yet. Not yet. That's right. Not yet. <laughs> so obviously you speak Spanish. What else? What other languages besides Spanish and English? Portuguese and a language called Tok Pisin, which is a pidgin English spoken in Papua New Guinea. Mm, nice, nice, nice. Uh, Fault Line Theater produced... Uh, Stegosaurus, or Three Cheers for Climate Change. <laughs> Your play, Men of Rabanal, uh, co-created with uh, Lacan Valdez, was commissioned and presented at La Pena Cultural Center and El Teatro Campesino <clears throat> here in the Bay Area. 
You have developed work with Victory Gardens, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Crowded Fire, East West Players, the Playwright Center of Minneapolis, Mood Performing Arts, Brava Theater, Playwrights Foundation, Jess Theater, and, of course, Alter Theater. Um, and we are going to skip the languages part because we already talked about that, but you're really passionate about cultural exchange cooking, Kung Fu, which we see show up um, in other martial art forms in your character, Waylon, and underwater encounters with octopuses and manta rays. Um, you are learning to be a climate activist, and you encourage all of us to do the same. So again, um, <laughs> welcome, Andrew. And and while I'm reading bios, we might as well just keep on going. So I'm going to read Michael's and then read um, Raisa's. So Michael Jean uh, Sullivan's acting directing credits include work with the American Conservatory Theater, the Denver Center Theater Company, Berkeley Repertory Theater, Theater Work, Theater Works, California Shakespeare Theater, SF Playhouse, San Francisco, uh, and the African American Shakespeare Companies. Uh, Theater First, Central Works, uh, Circus, Vanelli, The Aurora, The Marin, The Magic, <laughs> and Lorraine Hansberry Theaters. And he has toured nationally and internationally. Michael is also a collective member, actor, director, resident playwright with the Tony and Obie award-winning San Francisco Mime True. Yes, folks, that's him. Um, resident playwriting alumni of the Playwrights Foundation, and his plays have been performed in over a dozen countries in four languages. So, again, welcome, Michael. Hey. Hey. <laughs> and, Raisa, we'll hope to have you on again. This is the first time I'll be speaking to you. And you are an actor, dancer, and singer based in New York City and a proud native of Yokohama, Japan. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, Yokohama. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. I've been practicing since yesterday. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> um, your favorite theater credits include uh, Ruki um, uh, Min- Minami. Minami. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. premiere of White Pearl at the Studio Theater, Connie, and A Chorus Line at the Wick Theater. You're a good man, Charlie Brown, Annie, Joseph, and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, 9 to 5, The Music Man at Flat Rock Playhouse, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, I love that play, oh my goodness, Slow Burn Theater Company, yeah, Theater Rhinoceros mounted it twice here in the Bay Area, San Francisco. <laughs> And Miss Saigon, uh, Interlakes Summer Theater. I like that one, too, as an opera. Uh, did you do it as an opera? No, as a musical. Okay, yeah, it's a nice story. Um, Raisa has a BFA in musical theater from Ryder University. Um, so welcome, Raisa. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. So let's talk about this play. Oh, my goodness. So, Raisa, since you're the last person whose name I mentioned, why don't you talk about your 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 peach boy, um, Momo? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, Momo is such a fun character. He's, I, I guess he's around five years old for the most part of the play. Um, <laughs> I think his age and timeline changed throughout the draft, but... Uh, yeah, he, you know, he starts off as this 
bright-eyed, like, very naive boy um, with, a, you know, a deep love for his mom, Vonda, and then mm-hmm. he goes on an adventure to chase after the peach for his mom, and throughout that journey, he learns a lot of life lessons and um, comes back as uh, a, a more matured and wiser, a little bit older boy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's um yeah, he's he's really he's really sweet. Um you know how how mm-hmm. quickly he bonds with his mom and yeah, you you have a, like a lot a range of emotions particularly when when you meet your dad for the first time. Mhm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know sort of going with the flow in his different iterations cuz he's on showing up in these different forms. Um Right. So, uh yeah, yeah. How do how do you all do that? Um, you know, in uh, in 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 a radio, like in yeah, an audio setting. How do you how do you like? Are there sound effects? I mean, how do you all sh- how do you sort of I guess help us visualize um, these encounters, which are quite fantastic fantastical and I I can't even imagine how you would show it on stage if it were on stage so we have to use our imaginations but how how do you how do you do it um you know when your dad shows up um like the voice comes out of a possum and he's telling you um Michael you all you're sort of like trying to um build the courage of of your child um you know and and he roars and you know you just tell him to roar <laughs> Yeah, I, I like yeah. that. Well, it's a thing that that first of all, just doing the radio plays. You know, normally you do a show, even if a regular radio play uh, before the pandemic, we would have at least have all been in the same room, and we could mm-hmm. see each other, and we could play off of each other, and oh, this character's being big, and so you have a chance to 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 feed off the energy, feed off the looks on people's faces, come up with with sound effects that are happening right there. With this and with with us being separated by thousands of miles while we're doing this, everybody has their own setup at home. They've got their computer with their microphone set up and a special, like, sound baffling, people recording in all these different ways. Uh, and so we would try to record with everybody could see each other on Zoom. So at least you could see, because I haven't met anybody else in the cast in real life. I don't know if anybody else has, but, you know, because people are in Detroit and I'm in San Francisco and other people in New York and, you know, Andrew's in Mexico, we've never all been in the same room, any mm-hmm. of us, you know. And so mm-hmm. having to come up with all of that and then they're going to layer in the sound effects, some of which we could hear during the recording and some of which we had to go, okay, there's going to be a sound effect here, the sound of a fight, the sound of a bunch of raccoons. You know, constantly rushing onto the scene and having this big fight over the peach. All of this stuff, the exciting stuff that happens with radio plays, mm-hmm. the, the, the set, the costumes, the lighting, all of that happens in the audience's mind. And so in some ways, it's much more of an interactive art form than, re- than, mm-hmm. than live plays. Because in live play, you just sit back and everything washes over you. With radio play, you have to picture it in your head. And two people can be sitting right next to each other during a radio play, listening to it, and they see a different play in their head. 
they pick different costumes, different lighting, and all of that. So we as the actors have to be so specific with what we're doing, with our emotional twists, with the voices, like for all of us playing different characters, and sometimes mm-hmm. characters that are speaking almost back-to-back. You have to be able to do one voice like this, and then do the next voice like this, you know, <laughs> so quickly, <laughs> so that hopefully the audience doesn't even know that it's all the same actor. Mm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and for, for uh, Risa and I, you know, there are scenes where, you know, she's playing uh, the computer. She's playing Onilexa, the um, the device that, that um, Vonda is using to order things uh, from, mm-hmm. from Amazon. Uh, she has to play that, and she's playing Momotaro, you know, mm-hmm. and during this big battle scene that's going back and forth. And I'm playing Br'er Cicada and mm-hmm. playing Waylon, who at that point has possessed uh, 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 a catfish, the George's oldest catfish, you know. Um, so telling the story <laughs> in a way where the audience can sit back, close their eyes, and picture the whole thing. It's a very specific art form that is a lot of fun, and I hope that when the pandemic's over, we don't lose it, that people don't I, – I hope that companies continue to do mm-hmm. radio plays and people continue to write them and produce them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope you do too. I I love. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not. I was wasn't born during a period where people. That's all they did for fun. They watched. They listened to the radio because there was no television. And then even when there was television, mm-hmm. people did, couldn't afford television, so they still listened to the radio. And I mean, for everything. And it sounds like a really wonderful, creative time, you know, for people. And then also people would get together around a radio, like they would sit around the radio, like people get together to watch a program, or at least we used to. So it's really, really cool. I love those voices. Um, could you talk a little bit about about the other uh, members of the, of the cast and the story and the director? Because this is, um, yeah, it's, it's a really fine production as far as, you know, who you all have gathered to help you tell the story. So, um, Michael, maybe you could talk about, um, you know, your Vonda, you know, Waylon Vonda, um, <laughs> the actress who well, portrayed. Well, I haven't even had a chance to meet the anyone. So I can't even – I mean, Andrew could speak better because he'll know the cast oh. better than I would. Oh, I thought you all – I thought you said you at least saw the person in Zoom. Well, we saw people, but it's not – you know, it's not the same as really meeting them. I think she's in – Detroit and and we didn't have it it, even like when you do a regular play this is something else I learned Mm -hmm. through the course of this last year of doing so many radio plays is that Uh when you do a regular play you get to know the other actors during the breaks you know Mm -hmm. you go in you rehearse the scene and then you've got like a five minute break and that's when you get together out in the lobby and you or in the hallway or outside you go and get some hot chocolate or you you get a sandwich together and you kind of get to know people with radio mm-hmm. plays, we hardly ever get to know the other actors because oh, wow. when you're, you're at home, when you've got a five-minute mm-hmm. break, you go and make yourself a sandwich or make your own hot chocolate. You don't sit there and talk <laughs> to anyone. So it's a, it's, a, right. it's, a, it's a lonelier experience on the one hand, um, but you are sitting there in front of a computer staring at somebody's face in a way that you, don't, mm-hmm. you did, wouldn't, or at least would be super creepy if you did it in regular rehearsal. So I would say, uh, uh, yeah, ask Andrew because he would—he'll know all of us much better than we would know each other. Okay. All right, Andrew. I'm asking. If he's still you. there. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So, oh. can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. 
Okay, great. Yeah, so um, the other two actors are Crystal Lucas Perry, who plays Vonda, and also Bobby, who is based on a real character, a real man I met years and years and years ago. My first trip to Georgia. Vonda's obviously Mama Tato's mom and Waylon's spouse. Bobby was a, maybe Bobby still is alive, a catfish farmer. Cat, cat, he raised catfish in a, the deep boonies of Georgia. And so that's basically, I took this real life person and put him in the play. He is a very brief scene. Um, and Kevis Hollis plays Br'er Possum. And both Kevis and Crystal read in the very original table read of a then incomplete draft of, um, of Br'er Peach in New York, hosted by Playwrights Horizons at their um, studio space downtown. Um, it was uh, in summer of 2006, uh, 2017, I just moved to New York. Jeanette was visiting New York and we got this group of actors together. And I've since, I've since seen Crystal in a couple of shows um, since, like in the intervening time, in the intervening years when I was living in New York. And so those are our two other actors. And then I also have to give a real shout out to our director, Desimona Chang. Desimona and I both, got our start in the Bay Area with the Asian, one of, we were both involved in the Asian American Theater Company's New Works Incubator Program, which was my second sort of real theater engagement in the Bay Area after being a summer intern at the San Francisco Mime Troupe, supporting a play that Michael starred in and also wrote. Uh, Showdown at Crawford Gulch, was that the name of the play? Yeah, Michael? Yeah, <laughs> yep, um, that was it. And uh, I was, that was almost 20 years ago. Holy moly. Um, and so, so Desimone and I met in this in New York incubator program. Christopher Chen was also a member of it, who has since blown up in amazing ways. Samantha Chance, who's had a very successful career, particularly in New York. Um, and so Desdemona has apparently, I think she's had quite a bit of experience the past year, like Michael, um, making radio plays as a director and she was, her, she was also like all the cast, like Ivan and SB um, and Jeanette and Alicia, the producers. Um, Desdemona was really critical in terms of helping me develop the script, even before we, we uh, got into the recording sessions with the actors. She was, in a way, functioning as an additional dramaturg, which the best directors do. And... Um, I had a couple of conversations, Desdemona, Ivan, and myself, really digging into characters, into individual scenes, even into specific lines and words. And so, so my gratitude to Desdemona as well for, um, for, for uh, helping the play become what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure... Um you know, in the setting, um, you know, Georgia, and we think about Representative John Lewis who talked about, uh, you know, sort of getting into good trouble. We think about what's happening in Georgia around around uh, voting rights. Uh, we think mm-hmm. about the hate crimes in Atlanta. And, and you know, and then we have this play. <laughs> so, um, oh, wow, I mean, just... That you all again, it's just it's just uh, just stirs up so much um, you know energy um, 
and and just sort of even though it's not a true story, you know, it's a fable. There there's so much, so many layers. I was just wondering if you all could sort of reflect on, you know, this this beautiful work that you all are bringing to life, um, and it's going to be having a um, uh, a digital launch party on April seventeenth, and people can register digitally at Alter Theaters website. Uh, Alter is spelled A L T E R, and then Theater T H E A T E R dot O R G and forward slash Peach. And you can also call the box office four one five four five four two seven eight seven. Again, that's four one five four five four two seven eight seven. And you know, sometimes you get a live person, so that's heck of cool. Um, yeah, but just sort of uh, maybe talking about how this this work sort of resonates within your person given the current uh political climate and you know we're we're a year into the pandemic and things are opening up as the term goes hmm. yeah well one of the things that's you know at this particular time pieces mm-hmm. that are cross cultural and 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 cross culture in a way where it's not about a class of cult, a clash of cultures because so often mm-hmm. I think American theater and American film very much so focuses on a clash of culture. Oh, these people over here don't understand these people, and the whole film is about them seeing each other as human beings. Like that's supposed to be a problem for the average person, whereas a lot of average people just see those people as their neighbors. That's who they go to the store with. That's who they're they're dealing with. There are definitely, you know. Uh, a vast number of racists and a vast number of people who don't think they're racist, but they're really racist. Um, but by focusing on the clash all the time, those those pieces of art are really focusing on the differences of people rather than their similarities. You know, to 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 really create a, a piece of art where um, there's it's all about the similarity, all about what's in in common, without discounting the differences, but really focusing on oh. This is how, you know, what, what we have in common is, you know, like with the mind troop stuff, it's a, you know, a worker oriented, you know, class consciousness. That's what we should have in common. And with this play, that it's a very, because it's a fable, there's a very simple hero's journey going on. But mm-hmm. it's going on with these very different beings and very different people who are all focused on the same goal, which, uh, um, which is part of the idea that Andrew brings to it of having this traditional Japanese story set in Georgia, uh, you know, and these two people who are uh, struggling in their lives economically, but then, you know, just two old black people who are trying to keep their heads above water. And then this magic enters their lives. And then, uh, you know, one of them apparently dies and the other one is beset by a huge corporation who wants to buy her house. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they, again, miraculously, they have a Japanese son, you know, <laughs> um, just poof, <laughs> magic happens. And and the, the, the father that I play, Waylon, he was very focused on uh, um, the films of uh, Akira Kurosawa. And so, you know, he's an old man. He was really into Japanese kung fu films. And he watched them all the time with his wife, Martha. Well, she didn't watch them because she didn't like them, but he loved them so much, especially the one starring <laughs> the immortal Toshiro Mifune. 
So then when he <laughs> passes away while they're having sex, and then he comes back to help his, his miraculous <laughs> his son, and his son is a, is a Japanese kid who grew up in like a minute and a half, to, you know, to yeah. being mm-hmm. like 10 years old. So there's so much of a, the magical world of, of myth tell it myth in this story, but all of what they're struggling with is the same, struggling against a big corporation, which is, the, the, of course, the part that fascinated me and part of what drew me to wanting to do the piece was but take the updating of this story. Instead of having the enemy be just mystical and mythical beasts, it's Amazon, you know? It's what the, the, our, our current massive uh, dragons and, you know, the current uh, titans that are, that are holding us down and trying to get into our lives and warp us and change us. So to do it as a, as a traditional folktale kind of updated and set here, I thought was a really great idea. And like I said, that's part of why I wanted to be part of the project. That's it. Thank you so much for those beautiful words, Michael. It's really been an honor to work with both of you, both you and Rissa. And um, I guess I will briefly answer your question, and then you'll have the part of me, Wanda and listeners, because I need to sign off. Um, if I may, but I will say, you know, this play has been in the works. Uh, I started writing the first scenes, I think in April or May of 2017. So it's been four years ago, long before Georgia was on the national or not that long, but four years before Georgia was on the national, maybe two years with Stacey Abrams, but before Georgia really took the spotlight politically. And I will say I, Georgia is, has so much beauty in it, um, and there are many beautiful people in Georgia of all races, including white people. There are many white people in Georgia who are dear to me. And, um, and I think Georgia is a – first of all, I think everyone should visit Georgia if you haven't, um, and not just Atlanta. Atlanta is one of the most exciting cities in the country, but um, – uh, I think it's a critical, critical location, both nationally and uh, particularly nationally. And we'll see what happens. It's you know quite fascinating that there is this conflict, conf- confluence right now, or this convergence in Georgia around race, both with the horrific murders from several weeks ago and the mm-hmm. horrific legislation that Brian Kemp signed into law that um, that. Uh, in an, a direct reaction to the triumph of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Reverend Raphael Warnock, and J- John Ossoff in their electoral victories just recently, um, which would not have happened without a major mobilization of black Georgian voters, other people of color too, and plenty of white Georgian voters as well, but particularly black Georgian voters. And I actually voted in Georgia and I had to go twice very early in the morning because the first time I waited for five, almost five hours in line to vote, and it wasn't enough time to get in because there were so many people. And, um, and it, I, dare I say, uh, the election results, I'm, of course, sharing my political position, but the election results in Georgia were a tribute to the potential of democracy working. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that every single one of those voters who waited hours and hours and hours in line are, um, are heroes. And, and I just want to also add 
before I bid farewell that um, there is a very important short documentary on the New York Times about the 2020 primary elections in Georgia that shows how in majority black areas, particularly in Atlanta, Fulton County, Atlanta, um, voters would have to wait up to eight hours or more in line to vote, black voters in black, majority black areas, and then voters in majority white areas, particularly suburban areas, could just walk into their polling places and cast their vote and walk out. And so voter suppression is very real. Um, and, uh, and I believe Stacey Abrams is running for governor again oh, in next year. That's the word on the street. That's what the grapevine says. And so, um, but this, this battle in Georgia, I mean, there's been voter suppression legislation passed, or at least proposed, in, I think, 43 states since the presidential election. And so, um, you know, Georgia is, is emerging as ground zero, and I think is the face of the new South, which is changing, uh, um, changing demographically in huge ways, not just with, with a rising black population, but more and more Latinx and Asian Asian residents and citizens as well. And I just want to close say, uh, quoting um, the late, great August Wilson, who said something, and I'm not advocating this, but it was a very interesting thing he said in a documentary I watched years ago. He said that he advocated, you know, August Wilson having been born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he advocated for African-Americans to move, who's, who's you know, parents or grandparents had left the South during the Great Migration. He advocated them moving back to the South to really consolidate black power. And we're actually starting to see it happen. And as Georgia goes, maybe Alabama, maybe Mississippi, Louisiana, we'll see. Um, yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. I have to hop off, but thank you all so much. And thank you, listeners. And uh, thank you to all my amazing collaborators, Michael Ressa and everyone else who's on the call. And I really hope you tune in to, to their phenomenal work. <laughs> uh, thank you, Andrew. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks Looking so much. Looking forward to Be well. Thanks seeing for you um, at the premiere next week. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> Ciao. All righty. Bye-bye. Um, I was wondering, um, Raisa and Michael, if you, yeah. um, if you could talk a little bit about the, uh, the rare part of the um, – of the uh the bear peach uh I'm thinking bear rabbit the uh african american uh folk trickster um and and I was wondering um if you could talk a little bit about that since Andrew was gone <laughs> um but you know I mean any, everyone who knows uh I don't know what everyone but a lot of people who know the the, the trickster and and bear rabbit um mm. That that particular word sort of brings up a whole lot, and then and then we sort of think also about the West African character Anansi the spider, which is who is also mm -hmm. a trickster. Um, but anyway, um, I'm sure you all know the character because of the title of the work. Yeah, I think the rare characters are um, displaced version of all the animals that Momotaro gets to uh, meet and recruit in the original. Japanese fable, um, and uh, instead of dog, a dog and a monkey and a bird, it, it's it's a cicada and um, a possum and catfish, and I think that's 
it's what the animals are that you can find in um, Georgia. And I just, you know, being being Japanese and from being raised and born in Japan, I love getting to see this classic tale being told and infused with a completely different culture. Um, yeah, I love this adaptation. <laughs> yeah, it's like so many cultures, really every culture has this, has the idea of, or, or, you know, kind of like us next to humans is this whole other world of spiritual animals. You know, the, these spirit beings who sometimes are having adventures that, you know, are fables and lessons to, to teach humans. But also at the same time, they've got their own lives. They're doing their own stuff. They're living and dying. They've got their own religions. They've got all of this, this uh, stuff. I think that a lot of humans in trying to explain the world to themselves would come up with these stories. But also um, the idea that, you know, the rabbit and the catfish and the cicada and the possum and all of that, all these other, our fellow earthlings, are engaged in this rich life. Also, for, uh, I think traditionally for people, made the world seem less lonely. You know, because if it's just mm-hmm. us, it's a very lonely planet. But if we see all of these other creatures as having minds and passions and wants and desires and quests and goals, it just seems like a much richer world. And so every culture has their, you know, version of Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Possum and Br'er Fox. And, and, and you know, like Russell was saying, you know, diff- every culture having something. And so... What Andrew did was to take uh, take these different stories and put them together uh, in a way that uh, they are forwarding the story, but also kind of showing different aspects, you know, different people, different types that all have a value. Bear, bear possum may be filthy, disgusting, and have fleas and live on eating roaches and garbage, but he's still got a good heart, you know, <laughs> though he does cuss a lot. But, you know, he's a possum. You can't hold it against him. And, you know, rare cicada, <laughs> which is interesting because this is the year where all the, like, tens of millions of cicada are going to start popping up across the south. Oh, yeah. um, rare cicada, who's stuck to a piece of wood and can't come off, but tries to be helpful and, you know, in every way that he can. And and uh, 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 rare catfish, not really trying to be super helpful, really focused on trying to eat them, but tempted to try to help them in some way because there's something he likes to eat even more than possums. It's raccoons. Uh, mm-hmm. And the raccoons are the, like the villains in it, but you can't really be mad at them because they're just acting like raccoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of the, the, like I said, the richness of the, of this world that on some level, I think all humans want for It's like, I, I think about, uh, you know, I don't know if you do this, either of you two do this, but I do this. Whenever I see a dog, I say hi. Um, you know, I wave at them. You know, hey, how's it going? Uh, you know, you go, hey, boy, how you doing? And some part of, I think, all people, all, all of us would like the dog to go, I'm doing okay. How are you? You know, you wouldn't necessarily freak out. You'd go, finally, the talking dog. Tell me what it's like. You know, and so using these stories is kind of, like I said, a window into a much richer world. And then using that richer world to tell the story of people who are struggling against the system, I think is, you know, uh, part of the and, – and specifically as a radio play, being able to open this world up in, in the individual listener's mind should be – I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to hear it all comes together. Yeah. 
Wow, that so so it's all ready to go. You you finished it. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh wow. So so at the because um, it's episodic, there are I believe three three episodes. I mean yeah. three parts mm-hmm. to to the to the to the uh, story, and and I was trying to understand how how it's gonna work. So um, do we hear one episode at a time, or can we? Watch, listen to all the three episodes together. Uh, how 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 is it? What's the plan? I think I all three no episodes idea. are being released at the same time. I would assume. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, it's your choice if you want to listen to one at a time or just sit sit through all three of them. Uh, I think it'll, it'll be you know if you want to binge, binge, it's like binging a Netflix series, but. In a radio platform. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be so fun. Yeah, because I know um, after, because I know at the um, uh, at the launch party, um, we're going to hear episode one, and mm-hmm. and it's also a fundraiser, and uh, but uh, no one is turned away uh, if they can't afford it as for the launch party, and then afterwards, people who um, buy tickets, they'll have, uh, or people who contribute at the fundraiser, they'll have access to all three episodes, and you're right, um, people can listen to them all at once. I kind of like Netflix kind of binging. Like if there's a series, sometimes I don't know it's a series, and I'll like, oh, this is so good, and I'll just watch the next one. Oh, this is so good, and I'll just watch the next one. It's like, oh, my goodness, I've been in the house all day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. Well, thank you um both so much um for for joining us today to talk about this wonderful work uh Rare Peach. And I was wondering and thank you so much Michael for for your multiple voices. That is so cool. And uh <laughs> um Risa, um thanks for your your insight um into into the character. Um yeah, any anything you want to uh say anything about um you want to uh you know, anything that you didn't already share, um anything you want to leave the audience with cuz I think definitely this is the kind of uh work that the whole family will certainly enjoy. Yeah, well, it's definitely uh a good family um kind of, you know, it's a good basic old-fashioned adventure story with a little kid in the lead. Um, it's it's kind of like, it's like a Disney story, only it actually has a point. Um, you know, where it actually talks about the world we're actually in and, and you know, po- politics and class and economics and all of that. All of the stuff that they generally, in, in, a, in a written, regular Disney show or our children's show, they just kind of leave out completely. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of romanticize poverty. You know, the poor person mm-hmm. is living in the shack, but they're happy, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they never mm-hmm. really talk about the needs of money and, and what's going on in debt and how do they pay the rent and having to have a job and all of that stuff. But it's mm-hmm. still, a, a, you know, a, a show for the whole family. So I think that's a real plus for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, hmm yeah, and what I like is that um, you know, people always talk about uh how if they could get their youth back as if there's nothing 
to be said for for growing older and the benefits of that and and how you know how that is also a joy you know sort of the the accumulation of 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 living and the wealth of living and how it shows up i mean you know if you've been here 70 years then some of that's going to show <laughs> you know uh, on, on the equipment hope. yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Kind of, you do hope that there would be some learned some wisdom in, in the experience. Though even in this play, when Vonda, you know, she starts off old and she's got a chance to eat the peach and she gets younger. Um, mm-hmm. But even though she starts off old, she still has to learn the value of her experience. You know, so mm-hmm. often there are people who are like, oh, I wish I was young. And, and it's like, well, why aren't you valuing what you already have? You know, mm-hmm. it's not just about how fast you can go. It's about the journey you already took. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to... Um, downplay your experience and the and the wisdom that you can pass on just so that your knees don't hurt, you know. So I think that um, that that extra bit of really uh, her journey of really valuing herself and not just valuing her younger self, but valuing her entire experience is a great lesson in the show too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the oh, show yeah, is very much about Vonda's. Um, journey too like it's it's i know it's centered around momotaro you know it's titled Brer peach but i think vonda's story is uh like more significant one mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think so too and and it's also a love story which is really beautiful um yeah the older couple Mhm. Yes, really that that really comes through um and how love transcends um uh you know the flesh. Yeah, yeah. I you know despite uh Momo and Vonda being completely different race and not blood related, they still mm-hmm. have this deep love for each other and um just like immediate care uh and yeah, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in a very like multicultural environment, so seeing these kind of stories is very heartwarming for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew. I'm from Japan, but I grew up in Singapore. Um, oh. And yeah. also, like, went to a bunch of international schools growing up, and then I came to the U.S. for college and stayed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> cool. Super. Wow. Well, well, thank you both once again, you know, for the lovely conversation. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to next week, um, you know, when we'll all be together seeing, um, well, you might have already had a preview. I'm not sure. Have you seen um, or watched sort of what it's going to look like, or will you be surprised with us? Not at all. Um I'm a little bit nervous just because I'm not really used to hearing my own voice, but uh, I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, so I am looking forward to hearing, you know, because when we're doing it and we just have our headsets and we're at home, like I said, sometimes we can hear the the sound effects and sometimes we can't. We don't know what effects they're going to put on our voices or have mm-hmm. underscoring music or anything. So it'll be it'll be kind of like we'll know about 80% of it before we hear it because we'll know what the lines were and we'll know what we we tried to do. But how it all gets put together will be as, as big a surprise to us as it will to the rest of the audience. <laughs> okay, cool, super. Well, I'm sure it's going to be really lovely. And uh, thank you again for this great conversation.
Um, you all take good care. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye. So we are going to play something. Uh, we're going to play Lovely Day because <laughs> it's my go-to when I can't figure out what to play next. And and then we are going to rebroadcast um, most of the interview that we had with um, with Kelly, uh, Kali, uh, Oscar, and um, DGA winner, and Dion Coles um, from Blackish um, on their new film. I'm fine. Thanks for asking, which is screening beginning today, which is the opening of the San Francisco International Film Festival. Yay, because last year they canceled it. And uh, so we're really excited about about this wonderful rollout of great cinema from around the world and here in the Bay as well and in California, which is where this film was made, in Southern California. So you should definitely go to... uh, the San Francisco International Film Festival website because they're going to be having some drive-in films. So you can have a little, you know, distance, safe company. Um, and then other films are going to be screening and there are going to be some other kinds of events. So you don't want to miss it. And, again, it starts today. So um, we had a really wonderful interview with uh, Kelly and Dion on Wednesday. So we're going to rebroadcast that. So while we're waiting for it to, to get ready, uh, for me to play it, we're going to play uh, Amakela's Lovely Day.
Uh, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good, Kelly. Kelly, is it Kelly like in the goddess, Kelly? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Kelly, you, you're one of the. You're right. You're one of the first people to ever get that right. But 100. Oh, she is fierce, just like you are, and you got the hair too. Like, how could they miss it? <laughs> you're so sweet. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Um. Thank you for asking. The, oh my goodness. And we yeah. and we we see that all here with us too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, Dion, you are. Oh, you are too funny yeah. in your role. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, I just love it when you start dropping the money. Okay, let me come back. Thank <laughs> 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 you. Oh, it's just so fabulous. Well, congratulations on the wonderful feature. Um, I, I know that's thank the first you. for you, Kelly. Um, you know, really yeah. wonderful how you pulled all your your folks together and. Produce such a wonderfully, mm-hmm. oh my goodness! People are gonna want to watch this over and over again because it just really <laughs> tugs at your heart, uh, and it's so beautiful. Oh, the uh, cinematography is—it's just such a gorgeous film, and all those those poses on the skates. I mean, you are skating, and I'm like, wow, how's she doing this all day? The character—I mean, like, yeah, she's in really good shape. It was like ten hours a day. Yeah, it was a lot of skating for this movie, for real. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me read your bios, um, the short version, so you can tell us about how this project came to be, and yeah, and your um, you know debut at San Francisco International Film Festival on Friday is going to start to dream. It's like, ah, yeah. <laughs> congratulations, congratulations. So um, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So um, you are uh, a native of Los Angeles and uh, Howard University and USC School of Cinematic uh, Arts alumna. Uh, You've directed Mm -hmm. and written and produced award-winning films in Belize, Haiti or Haiti, China, and locally Mm -hmm. in the United States of America. Uh, Right out of Howard University, you received the opportunity to work at National Geographic television and film where you gained TV experience that led you to become the only woman selected to direct the first Creole dramatic TV series in the country of Belize, uh, Nomata, Nomata War. Mm-hmm. Um, did I pronounce what? it correctly? Yeah. Okay. Nomata What? Ah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, Nomata What? Sorry. That was yeah. important. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, yeah, I'm thinking good. War on Poverty this morning. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like you're no the worries. third guest. That's the theme is homelessness or house underhoused oh. and whew, yeah, issue. children that are homeless. It's like, oh my goodness, yeah. And I yeah. hadn't even known it was the theme until until now. <laughs> and you later won the Paul Robeson Award for your work. Uh, you were selected to work with Ron Howard and Brian Grazier, New Form Digital, to develop your web series, The Discovery of Dit Dotson. That went on to compete for compete in top tier festivals across the nation, and in 2018 you won you wrote and directed Lalo's House, executive produced by uh, Garcel. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. Beauvais. Yeah, Beauvais. Beauvais. And Beauvais, Lisa yeah. L. Wilson yeah. Beauvais, and which went on to win the 45th annual Student Academy Award and was in consideration for the 91st annual Academy Awards. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. And Thank you've got you. a whole lot of accolades. Um, I'm not going to read them all. 
um, because we want to we want to talk about I'm fine. Thanks for asking, um, which came became sort of like the tag. Like everybody says that in the in pandemic uh, America, um, I'm fine. Thanks for asking because I don't know. Does that mean that no one was asking how we were doing before then? Uh, I'm not sure, but it it sort of really rings true. Like <laughs> I said so much when people who I don't know ask me how I'm doing. I'm fine. I mean, because I don't yeah. think they really want to know how I'm doing. So I say, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> and um, the common answer. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, they don't have time to really hear you. Like, do they? Like, do they have time? Like I say, well, the, the answer is really long, and, and we don't have time right now. So I'm fine. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Dion, <laughs> um, oh, my goodness, you're the producer, executive producer. Uh, of this wonderful film, and you are an award-winning comedian, writer, and actor who stars as as Charlie on the ABC hit series Blackish and Freeform Grownish, winning Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series at the 2020 Image Awards. Congratulations! Thank you. You're welcome. And you were nominated again for your role at, at the 2021 Image Awards at Forest as well as for your exceptional VO work or role work in on Crip and the Age of the One of the Wonder Beast. That's Netflix. I have to watch that. Uh, <laughs> in film, uh, you appeared in the Whitney Cummings director directed feature, The Female Brain, uh, opposite Sophia Vergara, uh, and in the multi-part mm-hmm. Barbershop. Uh, you were a standout in the Friendsgiving and Holiday Rush. In stand-up, your latest one-hour Netflix special, Cold Hearted, uh, which is kind of cool, C-O-L-E, a play on your name. That's that's nice. <laughs> After the success of your performance in the stand-ups, your previous one-hour special, Dion Cole's Cold-Blooded Seminar, you, you got the right name. I mean, did you fix this up with, like, the folks that – Allowed you to choose your parents so that you could, you know, so that like they, they knew what you wanted to do with, with your life. So it's like we need to put him with this family so he can have the right name so he can like play on it for the rest of his life when he becomes a professional. <laughs> Is that what you did? Is that how you looked it up? You are when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not you. And currently. You are also the face of new Old Spice campaign. My father used Old Spice. I think a lot of black men use Old Spice, don't they? <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the film. So um, Kelly, why don't you why don't you talk about sort of how it came? You know, sort of the genesis of it and how you how you you know uh, grab Dion, you know, to be a, a part of this. And to be a producer, producer means that you are kicking in money. That's important. <laughs> <laughs> Executive producer at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of money. So, um, so Dion and I are writing partners and and, and producing partners now. But um, so we've already been working together on other projects. And when the pandemic yeah. hit, it kind of slowed things down. Um, and then as time went on, like, the summer came around, and I just woke up with this pressing feeling in me to create something. And um, and so I automatically included, you know, Dion, um, a writing partner, um, 
but I went to my girls um, from USC, my co-director, Angelique Molina, and then our other co-producer, Roma Kong. Um, mm-hmm. I went to them first to discuss, like, how um, we could make a movie during this time. And, um, and you know, at first I went to them and I said, you yeah, know, let's just make something. Let's make a short. And um, they were like, yeah, we could do that. Because I, I had my stimulus check at the time, and I was like, maybe we could just use my money and just do something. And then after I hung up, I called them right back, and I was like, man, look, we're masters of doing shorts. We know how to do shorts. Let's let's try to make a feature. So it, it all started with the stimulus check. But, yeah, when Dion and Capella, Fossum, um, our other producer, came on board, they're the ones who really kept the train going um, to be able to complete a film like this. And, um, and you know, Dion's been majorly supportive. Like, I I know initially, like, I <laughs> – this is, like, some scrappy little project, little street project in my mind. It's like um, if it – I told everybody, I said, look, you know, if it doesn't turn out good, we can just cut it into a short and act like that's what we meant to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just ended up, it ended up turning out great. And, um, uh, but, like, you know, for Dion to come on really meant a lot to me because, you know, he's he's done so much. He has um, so many accolades. He's worked on major, multi-million dollar um, feature films. And so I wasn't sure, even though we're partners, like, I wasn't sure if he wanted to uh, rock with stuff this was fun. He was like, are you kidding me? He's like, this is where I'm from. This is what I do. I do grassroots. And then he just, like, jumped right on and just kept this train going. So mm-hmm. that's how it all began. I, I do grassroots. Oh, what what a nice tagline. Mm-hmm. I do grassroots. We got to, like, hashtag that. Um, so, Dion, talk about, you know, the, this is your writing partner. How did that happen? Writing partners, that's great. Oh, uh, we were doing them. We were doing a movie in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we were just sitting down between takes one day and just talking about vision and her vision and my vision were kind of the same. And so we just thought maybe we should collab on some things, ideas she had, ideas I had. And we sat down and, you know, uh, us working together became effortless um, like like nobody ever really wrote with before, and we began we began banging out different projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it just went like that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about some of the projects you all uh, worked on prior to this one? Uh, we worked on this. We also worked on another script that we have with a company that's. Um, um, doing that thing right now, and you know, uh, yeah, we, we and we got like other scripts that we still writing on right now too as well. So um, yeah, we we got a lot of we got a lot of things man right now. There's stuff in the works, Wanda. We're just not allowed to talk about it yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, very, yeah. That's, that's, very, that's the way it's found <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I understand we can't talk about it now. You don't have to be tactful. I understand. I, you know, we, you know, those of us that are in this asking people questions business knows that all, all questions don't get answered <laughs> for a variety of reasons. <laughs> so that's no problem. So let's let's talk more about um, I'm fine, uh, the cinematography is 
phenomenal. It's so beautiful, and and I just love it that you were already skating all over the place, Kelly. So how was it for you to be, you know, both writer and, and starring? And who is the baby girl that's, you know, that's your daughter, oh. your character's daughter? She is wonderful. And all of the babysitters and the friends and not-so-friendly cast is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That So it, because we shot during a pandemic, um, and it was in the summer during one of the highest heights of the pandemic. We had to be extremely careful. So one of the things that was talked about is that we need to keep the crew to 10 or less. And so a problem oh. that ar- arose from that was, well, okay, if we keep the crew 10 or less, how are we going to cast? Because it's going to be over 10. And then I said, well, that just means we have to be in it. So um, that's how I ended up playing the lead and then um you my co-director angelique is in it she's you know she's the one who had the attitude with me at the car um our other producer loma she's the one with the cat with the delivery um oh we, like every crew every <laughs> crew member was in this movie um and and i mean it was obviously nerve-wracking for them because most of them haven't been but they all did a very good job and then we um, once we filled all those roles and we needed an actor, a few like actor actors that we we did bring in because um, we ran out of people, you know. So this was a I'm telling you from the earth grassroots type of project. We just got it done by any means necessary, and then um, Dion came in and blessed us with his scene. Where did he truth because um, when he looked at the outline, when I showed him the outline of what we um, put together, me, Angelica, and Roma, um, he was like, so you mean to tell me this girl skating around town in biker shorts all day and nobody tried to holler at her? <laughs> so, we're like, yo, that's so real. Like, Dion brought in, like, the real perspective for the story. <laughs> and um, and he introduced this character, which we were able to weave into Brooklyn's character, which ended up just being fabulous. So it, it mm-hmm. just worked. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. It works very well. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty car. Where did you get that car, Dion? And Brooklyn actually, and Brooklyn actually works for me. So mm-hmm. she wasn't oh. even an actress. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, so which, which is another oh. great component to it is that. Mm. She really killed the movie, and mm-hmm. she, she never really even acted before. Mm-hmm. It was mm. all friends. Oh, to, and to bring back Wesley, uh, the little mm-hmm. girl. Wesley yeah. um, is a friend of of our family, so um, she they used to joke around when she was real, real little. She looked more like my daughter than their daughter, and mm. so when we needed a little girl, um, Wesley was a great pick, you know, and she ended up, she's just phenomenal. She was like having another adult on set. Like, she was bringing ideas. She had great questions. She, whenever it was a <laughs> Wesley day, I was relaxed because I knew the girl was going to know her lines and everything was just going to be smooth because yeah, she was phenomenal. honest. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she does look like your daughter. Ah, uh, yeah. I love, I love the dream scenes. That is awesome. The one Oh man, the one where you're drowning! Oh, oh my goodness, I had to like, no, there's it's not that deep. She fell in a puddle, but but she's drowning. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. is um, yeah. that that we knew we wanted to have a, a, a captivating centerpiece in the film because we knew we were going to be ripping and running and stealing a lot of shots, but we really wanted to slow it down somewhere in the movie and mm-hmm. really show um, her struggle in an artistic way and using mm-hmm. metaphors and we knew that like she was literally well they're literally drowning but she is in life drowning in her fears drowning in her worries drowning in all the problems that she's trying to get done that day and so um putting her in water just made sense plus i've always wanted to roller skate underwater so (laughs) i was like i'm down let's do it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I don't know if we told our audience what the film is about. I, I do this accidentally a lot, and then it's like, oh, we've been talking and talking like this, like the folks have seen the film. I mean, they know it's a film because I did mention that it's debuting, but I don't know if we told them what it's about. Did we? If not, can we no, repeat I think it? We did. Okay, yeah. Can you tell? Yeah. Us, can you all both tell us what the film is about? Because then I won't give away anything because I'm reading all these production notes in. <laughs> and I saw oh, the film. Oh yeah. So. No. No problem. It's a, it's a story about a mother who is trying to protect the innocence of her daughter by pretending that they are only camping while she is secretly trying to get them off the streets into an apartment. Right. But her only means of transportation are roller skates. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And and where is... Um... Where is it shot? It says um, the streets of uh, Pacoma, California. I don't know Pacoma. Where Where is that? So Pacoma is in San Fernando Valley, um, okay. right outside of Los Angeles. Um, I liken it to it's, it's, it's where I grew up. Um, it is, I liken it to, um, it's like East L.A. So it's like the East L.A. of the valley. Um, mm-hmm. So I really thought, like, nobody is roller skating in bright colors around East L.A., and um, nobody is roller skating in bright colors around Pacoima either. And so we really liked that juxtaposition of this character um, mm-hmm. in in a place where um, things like that just don't happen. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and she's a widow, and her husband um, and her daughter, uh, he's an angel now. And and he grants mm-hmm. wishes, so there's a little magic there. But um, mm-hmm. you know, but your character is fierce. I mean, <laughs> you know, of course she's in good shape. She's skating all over the doggone valley, um, you know, up and down hills. <laughs> but but yeah, you know, we, we don't know how fierce she is until we see how fierce she is. And I'm like, that's a great scene. I mean, isn't it, Dion? I'm like, oh my gosh, really? <laughs> yes. You are you are so Kali. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk about some of your favorite scenes. I don't know what to talk about because I don't want to give away anything. So, talk about some of your favorite scenes. I like the one where you know we see the the money that um, your character is you know saving, um, but she still doesn't have enough, and and the um, the manager is trying to work with her. And I don't know if he knows the situation, but maybe he senses something urgent around why this woman needs the apartment. But I, I think yeah, that that's the, our, the compassion there is really beautiful. Yeah, and that that actor was also a crew member who um, was 
Um, I, he shot, he's a DP, he shot my, uh, the thesis that won oh. the Student Academy Award, and he also helped us with our VFX shot of the, the water that you're talking about. So he was another mm-hmm. crew member, and he was fantastic, so compassionate. That's our other producer, Capella's favorite uh, scene. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I never asked Dion, Dion, what is, what's your favorite scene? I never, I never actually knew. Um... Man, gotta like one in order to like the other. <laughs> just, so, so what are your two? I, man, the whole movie, man, just everything. <laughs> I like it. I like I like everything for different reasons. Man. Oh, what are some of the reasons why you like everything? <laughs> <laughs> because it makes sense. It all coincides together. Like. Her struggle, without her struggle, we wouldn't see Brooklyn. You know, without the kid, we wouldn't see, we wouldn't have struggle without the kid. And everything just plays into the other thing. It's like puzzle pieces. And so I like it mm-hmm. all, you know, just all mm-hmm. for all different reasons or whatever. You know, so those are like, you know, all of that is like, great to me. I mean, to me personally, I, I, I love seeing, I love seeing all those characters. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it, yeah. I guess it is hard because it's our, it's our baby, so it's hard to uh, <laughs> say what's favorite or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know for me, yeah. the actors, I, like, really, I love working with everybody. They're all my friends, but with, like, the two people who really I love playing with was um, Brooklyn. Brooklyn mm-hmm. threw some stuff at me that I, because there was a lot of improv in this movie, and she would say, that girl was, and those were 100% genuine reactions in those takes, because oh. that was the mm-hmm. first time I was hearing that, and having to react to her. Um, and then um, Dion scene is one of my favorites, because it, even though I had no dialogue, it was so hard for me to stay in character because the stuff that was coming out of his mouth in that, like, mm-hmm. you guys have no, I, like, I want to cut more bloopers from the things that he said from that car. Like, it is hilarious. Just trying to keep a straight face and be, like, irritated was was mm-hmm. challenging for me. But that scene was uh, a lot of fun, especially when he talks about the three-legged cat. Like, that's my favorite line. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then, um, um, Nyla, the girl who starts the problem. I really yeah. love her scene. Um, that's Jackie Holmes. Um, she was our AD on set. And another mm-hmm. thing about her is that the whole reason I roller skate, um, and I've been roller skating since I was like four, is because of her mom. Her mom went to our church. My dad was a pastor, and so I was really close to her mm-hmm. family. And her mom is the, I believe, at least one of the only black women in the roller derby hall of fame. She was a famous wow. uh, roller derby. Yeah. And she, um, her name was uh, Gwen skinny, Minnie Miller. They called her skinny Minnie. And I just mm-hmm. was enamored with her mother since, and that's, I've been roller skating since a kid because I've always just wanted to be like skinny Minnie. So to have Jackie one, B R A D she's in, she makes movies too. And um, two, to um, act in it, and there's a little thing that we say 
I tell her because her mom passed away a, a year before my dad passed away. So we have like this thing, you know, about our parents. And I say to her, I say, tell your mom, I say hi. And she's like, you know, I will. You know, she loves you. So that was like an inner thing between mm. me and her about yeah. her mom and the roller skating and her mom growing up in Pacoima and being one of the bigger stars from that little tiny town as a roller derby queen. So, um, right. yeah, there's like little secrets layered inside things layered in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really special. I remember roller derby. We used to watch it on television, and I remember, yeah. you know, being really happy when I saw a black woman. Yeah, so that's just part of the interview that I had on Wednesday with uh, Kelly Colley and uh, Dion Cole um, on their, about their film, I'm Fine, Thanks for Asking, which, again, uh, premieres today at the San Francisco International Film Festival, which is um, continuing through, um, I think, the 18th or something of, of this month. So you don't want to miss it. And you also don't want to miss the wonderful production at Aurora Theater of The Bluest Eye. Yeah, Toni Morrison's Bluest Eye adapted uh, for the stage by Lydia R. Diamond and directed in this uh, iteration, which is going to be... um, uh, Don, how would you characterize it? Is is it a radio play? (laughs) I, I would characterize it as a radio play, yes. I think that's the best mm-hmm. way. I mean, we, we're calling it an audio drama, but for anybody that um, remembers radio plays, that's what it is. Right, yeah. And this particular, um, uh, I guess, uh, I guess iteration of the work um, is really, really reads so beautifully. I can hardly wait to see what you all have done with it. Yeah, Lydia did a great job on this adaptation. It's mm-hmm. quite faithful to um, Morrison's language while at the same time kind of um, making some powerful choices to essentialize the story and really focus in on the three young girls. Um, it's so beautiful what Lydia's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well, Wanda. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. It's so nice to hear your voice. It's been... Years, it feels like. It has, been a, it has. It actually has. It's been a good long time since I heard your voice. So mm-hmm. good to hear from you again. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to um, I'm going to read your bios, and then we could talk about um, the uh, the presentation of the Bluest Eye um, at the Aurora, which opens um, today. <laughs> and yes, um, it it continues through May 21st. You got a nice long run too. We do. We do. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with you, Don. So Don Monique Williams uh, joined the Aurora team as Associate Artistic Director in August 2019. A native of Oakland, California, uh, Don was previously the Artistic Associate at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, where she directed Mary Wives of Windsor in 2017. Her recent directing credits include Aurora's Bull in a China Shop, Lauren Gunderson's The Half-Life of Marie Curie, Theater Squared, Letters to Kamala, um, American Stage Company, Earthrise Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, Moon Man Walk, uh, Taijin and His Brothers, A Midsummer Night's Dream, American Conservatory Theater, 
MFA program and audio version of Lynn Nottage's Last um, Meninas, The Secretaries, Profile Theater, uh, Willamette Week's Top Ten Portland Theater Productions of 2018, Romeo and Juliet, Chautauqua Theater. You are so busy, have been so busy. <laughs> <laughs> August Wilson's The Piano Lesson, La Petite, and what is that? Is UNCO, is that the university or something? University of Northern Colorado, yeah. Okay, all right. Lynn Nottage's By the Way, Meet, uh, Meet Stark, Douglas Morrison, and uh, University of Colorado, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Town Hall. Uh, you've directed a range of plays, including the English language premiere of Grace Morales's NN12, Othello, Twelfth Night in the Blood, Steel Magnolias, Children of Eden, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Little Shop of Horrors, Burial at Thebes, Medea, uh, Antigone Project, and LaRonda International directing credits include Edinburgh Festival Fringe, productions of Scapin or Scapin, Scaping, is Scaping mm-hmm. or Scapin? Scapin the Cheat. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Annabella uh, Ema. Ema. And mm-hmm. The Tempest. Williams was a 2016 Princess Grace Theater Fellowship recipient. Uh, you were awarded a TCG, a Leadership uh, U Residency Grant funded by the Mellon Foundation, and you were a former Killian Directing Fellow at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. You are an alumna of the Drama League Directors Project, and you hold an MA in Dramatic Literature and an MFA in Directing. Uh, and you really love directing, according to what we just said. <laughs> 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 and you're a proud member of the SDC. What does that stand for? That's SDC. the Stage Directors and Choreographers Union. Oh, okay, that's important. Um, and the Oh, that's what it tells me here, right. Duh. Okay, got it. <laughs> and um, Michael, uh, Jay Asbury, Daddy, and Soaphead, and Charlie. <laughs> um, is, it Charlie, yep. is, that, is that how you pronounce um, that? Uh, the last character's name? Is it Charlie or Charlie? Charlie. Mm-hmm. Charlie, okay. Um, you returned mm-hmm. to the Aurora where you were last seen in... 2019's Exit Strategy and 2008 right. Satellites. I saw you in Satellites. <laughs> um, he most recently appeared in um, Las Meninas with Profile Theater. So you all were in the same production. Um, you yes. as director, Donald. Yes. Okay, right. Well, that's cool. Was that your first time working together? Um, I think that was our first time working directly together. Yeah, we worked together, I think, three, two or three times since then. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and Michael, you've also performed with the San Francisco Mime Troupe, um, Best of Playground Festival, Zoom Fest. Uh, oh, that must be recent because Zoom is recent. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that was within the last okay. year. As a matter of fact, I think that was my first uh, gig during the pandemic. So, yeah. 
Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sacramento Theater Company, uh, Capitol Stage Company, San Francisco Shakespeare Festival, Pacific Conservatory Theater, Theater Works, Shogun Players, and the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Film and television credits include uh, San Andreas, Warren, uh, Warner Brothers, um, Chance, Hulu, Trauma, NBC, Nash Bridges, CBS, and voiceover for Pixar, Animation, Clorox Pine Soil. I love the smell of pine soil. And the video game, Watch Dogs 2. <laughs> well, again, welcome, welcome. So let's talk about the bluest eye. And um, as director... Um, and I don't know if you have anything to do with programming, Don, but why did you all want to bring the bluest eye to the stage not or to the audio to the to the radio uh drama um, today and now uh, I just think about and you couldn't have you couldn't have necessarily anticipated it, but you could have given the um what's been going on in our country since we've been in you know sort of uh sheltering in place and distancing for over a year now Uh, because I think about what the CDC director, you know, just just announced around racism uh, as a a serious public health threat. Like, okay, it's about time. (laughs) And this work, and this work. Well, um, I I am a part of the season planning process at Aurora um, in my role Mm -hmm. as Associate Artistic Director. And we were looking at this play before the pandemic and certainly before the shutdown. So we Mm -hmm. had uh, programmed Blue Sky to be part of a staged in-person live season. And and that came to be because we were talking about, you know, classics um, and, you know, Aurora – you know, Aurora isn't known for like Shakespeare, so not that kind of classic. Um, but you know, importance of being earnest, and they've done some Strindberg and stuff like that. And so Josh, the artistic director, said, "Well, you know, what about novels that have been made into plays?" And, and you know, I think everybody needs to expand their thinking around what is a classic. If Toni Morrison has not provided us with American classics, I don't know what author really has. So I shared this adaptation with Josh, naming that it's my favorite stage adaptation of a novel, and he really liked it. So we programmed it. Then the shutdown happened. We had to reconceive all of our programming. And honestly, um, I wasn't sure if Bluest Eye was the thing we should stick with because of um, the violence that was happening against black bodies. Uh, Breonna Taylor was murdered at home in her bed, and I just was Mm -hmm. like, we... Um, don't necessarily want to perpetuate more stories of trauma uh, within the black community. But the more I sat with the story and the more I was in the news last summer and hearing more and more about other uh, black women and black femmes being murdered, being the victims of violence, I thought, uh, no, this story is messy and it, it is traumatic and it is complicated, but we need to tell it because we are not telling enough stories of black women and girls. We just simply are not. And I want to correct that. Um, so, uh, so we moved forward in conceiving of a way to do it as an audio drama, and we had to get permission to do so from the playwright and from the Tonia Morrison estate, so that took some time. But I'm really glad that we um, moved forward with this piece, but, but there was a lot of thought involved in, in doing so given the content. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And Michael, what what made you want to um, uh, be a part of this production, and in particular uh, to portray um, this this these characters, but specifically Daddy? Uh, well, the Daddy role is not really a stretch for me, uh, being a Daddy. Uh, but um, <laughs> it's it's such a uh, powerful and poignant story, and the perspective. Uh, coming from these uh, young girls is one that I think is sorely lacking in uh, in our culture, uh, in the society at large. And so, uh, and also, I wanted to work with Dawn, and I had uh, been following her career before I had met her, and um, and I knew that she was a a. Uh oh. Oh. Oh, I wonder if oh, we right. he, he dropped. He he dropped. Oh, oh. he'll call back. Oh, yeah, darn. I'm sure he will. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because this this it happened before. Okay. Oh, well, darn. Um, yeah, yeah. I just love these. Oh, there's there. Um, there's Michael. Yeah, you're back. Yeah, you're back. Yeah. But anyway, I was saying that I was following her career, and I knew that she was a very talented and gifted uh, director. And so, working with her was certainly was a um, uh, was something I was looking forward to the opportunity to do. But it's such mm-hmm. a wonderful story; it's so beautifully written. And though it is harsh and um, at, diffi- at times really difficult to uh, to process, it's mm-hmm. it's real and it's honest and it's truthful, and uh, it's a story that I could certainly. Uh, connect to and relate to, and uh, I think that it's got enough uh, beauty and joy and um, uh, uh, encouragement within the uh, difficult elements to uh, sustain a beautifully told story. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. I just think about, you know, our beloved Toni Morrison um, and... Uh, yeah, she. I don't know. Has it been? Has it been three years now that she's made her transition? That she moved into the I think some, realm? somewhere around there. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, right. coming yeah, up on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that beautiful film that came out right before she passed, which was, you know, just a slice of her life—not the whole life, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. very, very, very well done. And uh, yeah, yeah, she. Um, uh, her work, this particular work, which was her first her first book published, right? Yes, yes, it was her debut novel, and it turned fifty one mm-hmm. this year. Really? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. last year was the fiftieth anniversary. This year is the fifty first. Whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. and how she how she didn't tell anybody that she had published a book, and it was on another, and she was working for a publisher. That story is so funny. And uh, and and how it was published, you know, she didn't even tell anyone. She was doing her writing over here on the side and, and doing her day job over there. And then it's like how, you know, someone's like, well, this is really good. Uh, you should let us publish you. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that relationship that there's a, there's a with her editor after that. Mm-hmm. There's a really good documentary yeah. on her life on uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pieces I oh, Am is really, really good. Yeah, that's the one I'm speaking of. Yeah. 
pieces of that around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in that particular work, she talks about the white gaze, and maybe you could talk about, you know, this 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 really uh, beautiful child, Pacola, and and her little friends, and you know, who are telling the story, and 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 then the the primer that really sort of uh, it kind of documents her life or the life mm-hmm. that she doesn't have, the life of, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 dominant culture that she is not a part yes. of. And she's like just watching. She's just watching everybody. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Picola is quite a fascinating character. Um, I, you know, I'll back up just a little bit. To, you know, Toni Morrison was famous for saying um, if there are stories that you want to see that you that don't exist, write them. And so she wrote Bluest Eye from that standpoint. She actually grew up in Lorain, Ohio, which is the setting uh, of the of the novel and subsequent play. And and she talks about knowing, you know, having grown up with a young girl who who really desperately wanted blue eyes. Um, and so I I think for her, Picola was real. Um, the and this idea, I mean the white gaze how damaging it really can can be um to have these these single stories to have this primer with jane and jane's life looks like this and then that's reified by shirley temple on the tv um and so picola really hates herself which is so unfortunate because she is a, a bright and precocious and resilient little girl who's mm-hmm. taking on a lot in her, you know, very young life. Um, and, you know, the counterpoint to that is, of course, Claudia and Frida, her her mm-hmm. friends, her, her, her sort of surrogate sisters, these young girls that befriend her that she lives with for a spell, um, who come from uh, a family that is warm and nurturing and full of love, um, even though there's still sternness and discipline, uh, it's just a very different childhood that these other two girls are experiencing. And and what Lydia's done in the play is really focus in on on the on those two counterpoints. Um, and you know the message feels quite clear: the need to um, to protect black girls and to create spaces for black children to be black children and not to. Um, have them not see themselves reflected for not stop giving them white dolls, you know, um, Mm -hmm. stop giving them (laughs) heroes that don't, that don't look like Mm -hmm. them. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like what happens to that doll that, um, one of, uh, (laughs) Cola's, Cola's, uh, friends gets for a present. This this like blonde hair, blue eyed doll that (laughs) is not appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Neither yeah. Shirley Temple dance with Bojangles that's, either. That's a great scene. That's one. That's one way to put that. Yeah, not appreciated. I love how you put that. <laughs> not appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Claudia is played wonderfully by Janae Simon um, in this oh. audio production, and this okay. moment Lydia captures in the play, and, and Janae makes such good work of it. It's, it's such a, uh, a beautifully. Um, uh, done moment, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and it. I think it reveals the interiority that so many of us uh, wrestle with that maybe we only talk about um, in in our inner circles. Um, so mm-hmm. I hope people really 
hear it, the the harm that can be caused um, when you remove people's reflection of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And and I think a similar, you know, looking at, at your character, uh, Michael uh, uh, Choli, um, as a boy, when, when the person who raised him, you know, is no longer present, and and sort of like, okay, well, that's like, you know, he, he's young, so he hadn't been able to develop an interior, but he was found on a trash heap. Right. I mean, that right. must, I mean, yeah. he knows that. I mean, it's like one thing to be found on one, another thing for somebody like to include that in the lore, that is your life. And you think, well, nobody wanted me. And the person that wanted yeah. me, now she's gone. It's like, well, what do you do with that insofar as having a positive self-image? Yeah, from the moment Charlie uh, arrives on the scene, he is uh, he mm-hmm. experiences trauma. You know, from being left on a mm-hmm. junk heap to being uh, mm-hmm. to losing the person that took him in to not having any guidance or uh, direction, and that basically colors and um, uh, moves his life. And it's mm-hmm. a really difficult, harsh road for him to travel, and it, it's hard to uh, to read. It's hard to do. And um, but it's it's real. It happened. It has happened to so many people. And mm-hmm. uh, finding the truth the truth in that uh, was an interesting journey. And it's uh, I think it's a powerful uh, character that she has written into this story. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, she. Uh, you know, the way that that we encounter this character in the work, um, he's not like he has depth. And we don't like throw him away. Oh, he is just like a uh, what do you call like a figure that's not developed. That's a bad guy. Right. There's reasons right. for this this person, yeah. this character to, to to have developed into the husband and father that he is. That's right. Yeah, there's no excuses yeah. for his behavior, which is uh, abhorrent. Mm-hmm. No. But, yes, uh, they but are. There is an explanation. Mm-hmm. There is that is there is an explanation. He didn't just you know set out to be that way. He was. Uh, mm-hmm. There are there are clear uh, reasons that we can point to for how things turn out the way that they do. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And and then I was thinking, um, for both of you, just some of these uh, tangible references around cold and heat, sticks and cold. You know. Um, <laughs> you know. Just just not having, just not being able to be warm, and mm-hmm. and then also, you know the. The uh, the theme of migration, moving, and not having uh, a warm, you know, like family. You know, when when Mrs. Breedlove talks about moving north and and how she left everyone behind, because even if she's not the most beautiful person on the screen, the people that loved her saw beauty. Yes. But when she moves, she's just an ugly black woman with an ugly black child. Yes, yes, and the isolation, right, of being alone mm-hmm. in this yeah. new place. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, um, I, I love, Wanda, that you bring up how cold and heat is operating in the text, and, and of course, Lydia incorporates that um, in the play quite quite nicely, and there's a whole section of the play where they talk about, you know, outdoors and what it means yes. to be displaced and living outdoors. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, even a sample 
like one of our teasers that we shared in our promotion um, last week was of Michael as daddy teaching the girls how to cut wood for fire in that juxtaposition. Again, if here's these two young girls who are learning a life skill, learning how to have heat, as you say, how to stay Mm -hmm. warm versus Nicola who is outdoors, who does not have that protection, that shelter. Nobody's teaching her how to make fire, and we know fire is one of the key elements for sustained life, right? With fire, you have mm-hmm. industry, you have tools, you have, you have food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, that metaphor of fire is a rich one and goes um, goes very deep. Um, and I love that um, that that even that you just even picked up on that and brought that up because, of course, the play takes us through the seasons. So we also move through the fall and the winter. Um, and then we arrive, you know, in the summer. But by the time we get to the summer, um, our hopes have changed. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so we starting, you know, starting with the cold, how do you, how do you win, <laughs> you know, when you already start from that place? Um, and had she told the mm-hmm. story in a different order, had we started in summer, maybe the results would have been different, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then you know the things that Piccola notices, you know, like the dandelions, you know, and she sees beauty in the weed. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and that yeah. it takes other people telling her that a dandelion is a weed, and therefore should not be regarded. That is what changes her mind, um, mm-hmm. and that ultimately is the same thing that had happened to Mrs. Breedlove, right? Like in my imagination, Mrs. Breedlove is a perfectly attractive woman, like perfectly Mm -hmm. fine, but she's not Jean Harlow, right? She's not these Mm -hmm. white women in the movies. Um, And so, you know, the the story talks about this incident of her losing a tooth and how that sort of becomes the final, uh, you know, uh, breaking point for her. Um, And it's that it took somebody else to say you're ugly, and then it becomes internalized. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's unfortunate because that's in all of us, right? And if we don't if we don't have people helping us with the esteem, if we don't have people offering that affirmation to us from an early age, we might internalize um, the the negative. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Morrison was was driving to in writing the novel in the first place, right? The societal ills, the harms we mm-hmm. cause when, right. when we don't yeah. tell, yeah. when we don't tell everyone's story robustly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, Michael, if you could reflect on, you know, daddy versus the other father. Um, they're such a different mm-hmm. person. Um, you know, oh, yeah. daddy has two daughters and a wife. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love, I love the. Um, I remember the Vicks vapor rub. I don't think my mother put it in my mouth. I saw, but I saw people do that, and they say they say it's not for consumption. I believe on the back of that thing, uh, that uh, it container, is not, not for that jar. Yes, I, they thought it was like I have, had, I have had Vicks vapor rub in my mouth, and I can confirm that it is not for consumption. And uh, <laughs> but it is a, it, it is a thing. <laughs> It is a thing that uh, many Southern parents did, and so uh, mm-hmm. I, I I remember being really tickled and amused uh, during that particular scene. But yes, there's a 
there's a huge contrast between the uh, the two characters, uh, the, all three characters actually, and mm-hmm. uh, moving in between them is, uh, is is that was a chore. But uh, because mm-hmm. I saw the uh, the truth and the uh, what's so genuine about each one of them, uh, that's what I was able to find in trying to uh, play them and you know bring them uh, to the Mike, I guess that's going to bring them to the stage of the screen <laughs> to bring them to the microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell us, tell us about Soaphead. Soaphead uh, also has had a uh, fair share of trauma in his life, but the way that he chose to address his is to direct it all into a spiritual and religious uh, direction, and so that's how he chose to address his trauma and it um, dictates how he relates to people and moves and moves within his life uh, as, as opposed to Charlie who was so traumatized that he had no, there was no sense of direction and he didn't seek that. But Sophie had found it, uh, was fortunate to find some sense of direction in religion, uh, whether it's misguided or not, it's for the listener to uh, determine. But um <laughs> That is the way that he chose to uh, to navigate his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, um, you know, thematically going back to uh, what you have raised, uh, Don, around the fire element, and I was thinking about alcohol as as fire water, and um, and then when you were talking about not seeing ourselves represented um, in in the dominant discourse or larger society in a positive way, I was thinking about um, the uh, um, <clears throat> the notion of how we we come to know ourselves through the reflection that of of or affirmation of ourselves of our of our self image. So we don't if we are not affirmed, you know, by other, then then we don't exist. Uh, we exist as the ref- as the projection says we are, and um, so the social construct is really, really important, and that's why, um, you know, we have um, Claudia is able to even have another um, another perception of this doll because she's yes. in a an, because she is in a family that loves her. So because otherwise, how would she know, <laughs> you know that? Yeah that she wasn't the doll, <laughs> you know, that she right. had this, this identity outside of this thing that doesn't look like anybody in her family. Yes. I love, and and um, Claudia talks about this, right, her clarity about white people, mm-hmm. uh, white girls in particular, are treated differently, and that she understood that from a very young age. I mean, Claudia in the story, right, starts at nine years, nine years old, and she already had mm-hmm. this um understanding um mm-hmm. but she's able to say that because she's in a household where she knew she was loved you know she talks about the war- again the warm hands the warm mm-hmm. hands of her parents um when you know when her mother gives her that big style um so um so i i mean this is this is, i've been calling it a triumph and it is through claudia's lens that i can say that it's a triumph because claudia becomes the storyteller she's the culture bearer she can bring it mm-hmm. forward. She's the she is the proof, the evidence 
that when we understand that our value does not exist in <laughs> whiteness, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. then we then we can uh, persevere. Um, yeah, Michael, uh, you were going to say something. I was. Um, uh, you kind of put it all together uh, for me, but um, I was just going to say that Claudia's ability to have that perspective stands in such stark contrast to Piccola's self-image, and uh, it brought to mind the scene where Piccola goes into the store, I think Mr. Yabakowski's store, and she expresses how she is even, she's invisible, that he doesn't even realize that she's there. He looks at her, but doesn't even connect to her as being present, and um, so she feels completely invisible, like nobody's paying attention to her at all, whereas Claudia is able to understand how she is perceived and understand the difference and uh, rebelling against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, who would you say the audience is for, for this production? Who would you like to see um, um, in the studio listening? Wow. Um, that's, I mean, a, that's a deep question. <laughs> um, you know, obviously my first response is like, I did it for the culture. Right, <laughs> so, right, um, right. I would love to 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 share this um, with our inner circles, with our family, with people who have this um, – this deep personal resonance with it, people that will will say, oh, my gosh, yes, I like how Michael shared, like, yeah, I had the VIX <laughs> put in my <laughs> mouth. Um, mm-hmm. For people who maybe had that feeling watching Bojangles dance with Shirley Temple, like something about that's not right. Um, and, and for anybody who ever had a moment of feeling like they needed blue eyes or long hair, straight hair, you know, mm-hmm. blonde hair, whatever, um, to then feel affirmed in knowing that, like, you don't you don't need any of that. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, not but, and I also hope that um, Morrison, Toni Morrison fans of all walks of life and, and races and creeds would give it a listen as an appreciation for this classic American tale that is now in its 51st year, um, and this is such a superb, fine cast of local Bay Area talent. It's Aurora's first all-black play. Really? Um, really. It is yeah. Aurora's first all-black cast and black creative. Ah. So um, the oh. sound designer is Elton Bradman, who I think is a local legend. He's designed many, many shows um, mm-hmm. locally here in the Bay Area. Um, and we even had a black woman, Elisa Muscol, as our stage manager with us on the journey. So um, so we really, to, to the best of our ability um, on that endeavor, tried to create a black space that held affinity for the artists in the project so that we could be honest and vulnerable with one another so that we could rise to the challenge of this work and not feel mm-hmm. like we were under the white gaze. So... Um, so, you know, we rehearsed and recorded all remotely via Zoom. So people are in their homes and we can't touch each other to offer that in, in, embrace of reassurance. So what we could do was kind of, you know, just keep the Zoom room um, as brave a space and vulnerable a space as possible. So um, so the, like, leadership of Aurora 
uh, came in uh, very rarely, you know, to kind of do the the regular administrative functions like hear, read through, and offer some notes. Or, but um, but rehearsals were pretty um, closed, so that mm. we could have honest conversations, right? You know, wow. we could talk oh, about wow. what it meant to grow up black. And Michael was the only man in the cast, so there was also a lot of energy around what it means to grow up as black women. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of us are sort of multi-ethnic black people, so where that sits in our identity. And Michael Mm -hmm. raised a daughter, so having that perspective, too, like he says, playing daddy, that's an easy role for So so that we could really be (laughs) ourselves in that space and talk about, you know, who was the dark-skinned person in their family and who was the light-skinned person and what did it mean in our families, that migration that you talk about, like what did it mean when our parents or grandparents uh, moved out west or up north or, you know, so um, so that we could build the show with integrity. And, and so for that reason, you asked about the audience. I want everybody, I want everybody um, to listen. I really, I really think that everybody can, can have an appreciation for this work and learn, but, um, but it would be especially meaningful for me, um, for our black folks to listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, wow. Um, so how, how was it for you, um, Michael, to be um, the only man and to have raised a daughter, and this is about little girls and their fathers, the story. And also the larger story is, you know, the oppressiveness of, you know, structural racism on, you know, being able to have a black family that's thriving. You know, there's all these different economic pressures not to mention the racial pressures, which are based on, you know, which which make the economic situation what it is. I mean, yeah, it's just my father, I'm from New Orleans, and my father um, headed out of, New, out of New Orleans because he couldn't be a man in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, uh, it, fortunately, through this walk, uh, my journey through the arts, this wasn't the first time that I was the only male in a cast. I've had that experience a few times before, so that was not unfamiliar to me. Um, mm-hmm. And when, I, when I'm in that position, uh, I know that <laughs> part of my role was to be quiet and pay attention. And so I did that and listened to the story as it unfolded and, um, and uh, inserted where I felt like it was appropriate, as opposed to um, in, in terms of um, navigating the world through, uh, I guess, the society, that's the story of my family. My uh, grandfather came to, he came what was west for him from Mississippi to Chicago uh, mm-hmm. for a better life. He he was basically forced out through an event that happened in his life that he had to leave and take our family to Chicago and Gary, Indiana. And then from there, my dad joined the military, and that's how uh, I arrived here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a path that many of our uh, ancestors and uh, four parents have uh, have had to walk. Uh, it just is. And I draw on their previous experiences, like they had to go through harsher conditions than I did. So that's something they were able to make it work. And so as a result, I have to make it work. I have to find a way to make it work. I have to navigate the uh, difficulties and hardships and inequity and find the positivity in it 
even if it doesn't appear obvious. You have to find it. You have to create it. You have to make it. And that's kind of how I've tried to uh, work that out. And uh, kind of to uh, join with Dawn on who I want to see the production, or hear mm-hmm. the production, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, for the culture, yes. I want black folks to come out and see it and hear it, support it, and connect to it, because I think that we there's a, a, a kinship to this story that I think that many uh, black folks will have. But I can also say that I have a uh, overwhelming number of non-white friends and associates that are contacting me through social media that are extremely excited about hearing it. And so um, hopefully they will share with their friends uh, that are uh, non-black and um, we'll get a broad audience because it is a universal story. Uh, regardless mm-hmm. of the cultural specificity of it, I, I do think that it's a universal story and that uh, people can connect to it if they hear it and um, give it a chance. Just like we can connect to stories under all circumstances, uh, I believe that other folks can too. And so I'm looking forward to whoever is interested in hearing it, get a chance to uh, listen to it and check it out. It's a, it's a beautiful story. And it's uh, something, there's something out there for everybody, I think. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, before we go, I was wondering, um, uh, Don, if you could mention the other members of the cast and, and their roles. Um, I just think about Kathleen uh, Ridley as Absolutely. Mama. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I was like, whoa, that's yes. going to be something. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this and It is a dream cast. The alchemy on this was so right, so right. And um, Michael and Kathleen Ridley, who plays Mama, Mrs. Breedlove, they were actually offered roles way back when we were going to do it um, as a live in-person play. We had already started the casting process, and Michael and Kathleen were um, the already had received offers. So I was so thrilled that they could, they were still available to to do the project mm-hmm. when it transferred to audio. Uh, the cast is rounded out by Janae Simon as Claudia, as I mentioned, Sam mm-hmm. Jackson plays Frida Darlene. Sam was uh, last seen in Aurora, at Aurora in Exit Strategy with Michael, and prior to that she had done Splendor. Um, but she's a local SF-based um, actor who's done a lot of work. Picola is played by Jasmine Williams, who is it's just a huge point of pride for me. I've known Jasmine since she was – well, Michael's known her even longer, so I guess I can't <laughs> even – I can't even brag, but I, you know, I knew Jasmine as a young talent when she was still in college, and I directed her in her first Shakespeare play. So I just, I, she did Bull in a China Shop last year at Aurora Theater mm-hmm. under my direction, mm-hmm. um, and Sam, Janae, Kathleen, Michael, Jasmine. <laughs> that was, that is our cast, and. Um, <laughs> And they had all worked together in various combinations, so there was already a lot of love in the room, like Michael nice. and Kathleen. They've been working together for, like, 20 years. They've worked on so many things together, and, like, Michael and Sam had worked together, and Michael knew Jasmine mm-hmm. since she was a child, and, and I had worked mm-hmm. with Janae, and Michael had worked with Janae. And so it was just <laughs> such a beautiful, um, like, coming together of this group of, mm-hmm. of humans um, who I had all just so long admired and was eager to put in a room together. Oh, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. Yeah, I got a, I got a response from uh, Jasmine, who is busy today, but we're going to try to work something out next week. And Janae, she said she was busy today, but we might be able to 
you know, continue these conversations, you know. Um, oh, that would be so wonderful. Throughout, throughout the yep. run. Um, yep, well, not really run. Yep, I guess you can call it a run. It's a floor radio. I mean, we're calling it a run. <laughs> this, is a, this is a run. Yeah, okay. okay. We're, we're calling it a run. This is, this is definitely a run. Okay, super, super. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. I, I would love that, Wanda, if you got an opportunity to um, to connect with other members of the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that would be really super. Just, I mean, yeah. those women are just so, so dynamic um, yeah. in the mm-hmm. range of talent and experience and just the vulnerability and so much heart. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wanted to ask you, what year uh, is the Aurora? Like, what what season is this for you all? Oh, is it 29th this, season? This is our yeah. 29th season, um, and we are um, currently programming for a 30th season um, mm-hmm. that we hope will be fully uh, returned to the space in person. We're not, you know, we're waiting for, see what happens with the local guidelines and, and the union protocols. Uh, but we hope to be um, back in our space. That will feel so lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be yeah, in a the theater, um, in a theater. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Mm. I would um, love to just take a moment. Our our commissioned writer, our ONG commissioned writer this year is Cleavon Smith. And, oh, for real? Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, that is so awesome. He's my yes, colleague at in Peralta Community College District. Is he still working or is he oh, did he retire? Cool. He is. Very no, cool. okay. he's, still, he's still working. Um, okay. And he's working on a piece. Um, uh, that's what we're waiting to find out. That's the title of the piece. And we are doing a um, developmental reading open to the public. You know, it, it'll mm-hmm. be uh, donation-based, so free and open to the public on June 5th digital, you know, so it'll still be streaming. Um, but mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, it's dealing with you know it's 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 dealing uh, you know it's an all black cast and it'll be dealing with mm-hmm. you know these um, ideas of what revolution looks like and the intergenerational thoughts and theories and do we is is there a radical middle <laughs> or mm-hmm. is there only radical <laughs> so oh, nice. so. I'm I'm pushing hopefully that we're able to produce that once we're back in our building full production. But this reading is coming up, um, uh, so I want to get Cleavon's name out in the world, and I'm directing it too. So selfishly, we'll plug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice, nice. So when is when is the nice. reading? That reading will be um, June fifth, um, okay, and okay. we'll make sure Wanda that you get. Um, all the information you need on that, and it, it, like I said, it's uh, open to the public, digital, um, mm-hmm. so it'll be streaming. Um, yeah. But that'll be like right on the heels of closing Bluest Eye, um, mm-hmm. so be interesting right. to kind of see where the conversation kind of, you know, in the in the relay, see how that one passes the conversation off to to this mm-hmm. one and. Cleavon is such a gifted yeah. writer. Cool. I'm thrilled to hear so that you, you know him and that you work with him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I've had Cleavon on my show. Oh, my goodness. I think every every play of his that I didn't miss. I mean, if I knew about oh. it, Cleavon, can you join us? <laughs> and, I tried, and I tried to make sure I was in the house for all of them because I'm, I'm a fan. I just love his thinking. Um, I think the last special, play of his that I saw one. was the one that he did at um, 
theater first. Yes. It was a commission. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they had the two women, the the two black women. The Jasmine. Yeah, Jasmine was one of them. Yeah, Jasmine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One was a revolutionary and the other one. Right. Yeah, and then there was stuff happened that really complicated things because, yeah, revolution is hard. You know, yeah. like it's it's no joke. Yeah. People die. Yes, you get it is. you know you That's get right. challenges that try to compromise your values, and sometimes you sell out. Right. Or people think you sold out, but you really didn't sell out. You know, you were more That's like right. Booker T. Washington and W. B. Du Bois. Like nobody sold out. <laughs> we were just yeah. trying to work yeah. it for the people. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, same thing. That's right. Some people have families and some don't, so they have different sacrifices that they have to make. So, yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it is is complicated. It's very complicated. Wow, so I'm really happy he's still on the theme of revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Still out there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I wanted to ask you, um, Don, if you could tell our audience how to get tickets and make sure they don't miss anything at the Aurora coming up. But presently, specifically, um, you know, how do they make sure that they are in in the space, are tuned in for the bluest eye? Which for the bluest eye, today. yes. Mm-hmm. Today, well, starting today, you can go to auroratheater.org. There's a big banner thing to click on that says buy tickets. And um, it's online, same as you could have in the before times. And then you'll get a link uh, you'll pick a show time, same as you would have in the before times, and then you'll get a link. And that link is good for 24 hours. So you'll click on that link, and starting with the selected show time, you'll have 24 hours to um, listen. And it's, um, it's, uh, it is an audio drama, but it is voice over picture, so you'll see the actor's headshots. And it's, there's captions available for anyone who needs captions. So if you want the captions, you can watch that on your screen, or you can just let it play while you um, sit and meditate or run in place or whatever you do when you listen to audio books or radio plays. Um, so that's auroratheater.org. Big button that says buy tickets. You pick a performance date. Again, we run through May 21st, and then you have a 24-hour window, so you don't have to sit at 8 p.m. and listen right at 8 p.m. You have 24 hours before your link expires. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. And, and if you if you love it, you can go more than once. <laughs> you definitely can That's right. Um, That's right. go more than once. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we have and a we, friend, we, we, we encourage you to go more than once. We have a friends mm-hmm. and family um, code, and I'm going to do the thing where I'm going to say that everybody that listens to Wanda's Picks is family, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give out this code. Um, so it's bluest with a capital B, the word bluest, capital B, CNC fifty, and that will get half price tickets. So capital oh, wow, B, bluest, nice. Capital C, the letter C, capital N, the letter N, capital C. The number fifty five zero, and you'll get half price tickets. That's for friends and family. So if you listen to Wanda's show, you are you are friends and family. That's right. Oh That's wow! Right. Friends. Oh, nice. Well, now you really can go twice. <laughs> oh. There it is. 
Yeah, you can have a couple of parties, a couple of listening parties. Okay, invite these friends over, Look, and then invite some yes other indeed. friends over. Yes, <laughs> and then you can have have a have a conversation. You know, brought over the people that yes. you're sheltering in place with, right? Because everyone, a lot of people have those those groups. Or you can yes. be outside right. listening at yes. a matinee right. kind of kind of situation. <laughs> and I really, you know, I really do encourage the the listening parties. Um, you know, I have friends that, you know, I'm watching things with uh, digitally and listening to things with digitally. And again, mm-hmm. because this, because our software is linked to like Vimeo, you can pull it up on your phone or computer, but then like cast it to your TV if you're using like Chrome or if you have like Roku um, mm-hmm. so that it can play on your speakers in your, in your house while you have dinner or whatever. So, um, so mm-hmm. I definitely encourage people to build community um, around listening. Um, and of course, Vic does come with a content advisory as we've kind of alluded to. There is some traumatic things and there's, uh, there are scenes of violence, sexual violence and self-harm. So, um, people should make their choices with that information. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it also sort of encourages a person to not listen alone. Like you should have, yeah, have to be in community. community. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that, it's that kind of work. You want to talk about this, <laughs> just like yes. we have. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm have so grateful seen. to you. I, yeah. Yeah, this is, oh, wow, I'm really looking forward to it. I remember the last time I saw The Bluest Eye was on stage at the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. Lorraine Hansberry. And, Lorraine Hansberry, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, I think uh, Stanley directed it, and it was it was it was um, being staged at the same time that the Color Purple was also the musical <laughs> was also being produced, and I can't remember the name of the theater in San Francisco, but we had two two plays, and Alice Walker actually came to one of the productions of The Bluest Eye at Lorraine Hansberry Theater because people said, "There she is!" <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I was thinking I don't know who the um who adapted it for the stage, but I think this production is different. It's new. Is that correct? Well, Lydia did this in 2005. Okay. So, oh, so it could have been the same one. Um, I believe one. it I believe it, it was. Yeah, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was the same one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wow. It was so powerful. I was yeah. so happy I went to a matinee so I could walk around. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, wow. That's the same playwright. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. And then I think about I think about Toni Morrison. Then I'm going to let you all go because we could be on the phone for a minute. Um, I was thinking about I was thinking about the uh, Toni Morrison's jazz and um, and the adaptation for Sage at the. Um, Marin uh, Theater Company. That was that was really really beautiful. Um, how um, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the uh, the play, the playwright's um, name. Do you know who I'm speaking of? Um, I don't know off the top of my head who did that adaptation. Yeah, she's from Chicago, and she also did the adaptation of Richard Wright's um, uh, Niambi E. Kelly. Yeah, Niambi, yes. Yeah, Richard oh, okay. Wright's um, okay. um, native son. Yes. Yeah, Niambi. She she is phenomenal. And she's an actress, too. Like, well, she's an actor and she's a playwright. 
wow, Don, I'm scared of y'all. Like, y'all just do everything. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but it's so good to have sisters in these roles, right, in the plays, directing superpowers, the plays. Superpowers, superpowers. Oh, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Michael. Um, I'm happy to have you here, too. But Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, Like I said, I've learned to be quiet and listen and just pay attention and, and drop in when I can. I understand. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was so lovely. And thanks so much for for taking my unsolicited uh, email, but I kind of like hold on to them, and I just did a search. I'm like, who do I know that's in a key role here? Yes. <laughs> I'm so grateful I'm that done. you reached out. So grateful. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, looking forward to seeing you all in person. But you all are some of my favorite people. You're telling important stories. Um, you know, these are important stories, and I'm so happy. Um, with the audio, um, you know, radio iteration of this, we're going to reach larger audiences and, and, you know, really truly look look at how, you know, story story heals our people. Narrative, yes. narrative healing is a real thing. And so, yes. and we have to talk about these things. We so, um, we do, so, we yeah, must. So, mm-hmm, so, so besides being entertaining, you know, it's also a sustenance kind of thing. You know, art is not um, something we can take or leave. No, no, it's, it's real necessary. And this is a necessary Absolutely. kind of story. And you all are doing really important work. So I want to thank you all for taking on this challenge because I know it's not easy. It wasn't easy. Being involved this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Wanda. I mean, you said it best that we need to we need art to heal. So thank you right. for having us. Right. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You take good care, and I know you all are going to be back again. <laughs> yes. Right. I'm Wanda. <laughs> looking all right, forward to it. Oh, certainly. Bye bye. Bye. Peace right. and bless. Bye. 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 Ah, so this was a really wonderful, wonderful um, edition of Wanda's Picks. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to another edition next week. Um, if you want to know about some of the Wanda's Picks uh, editions that are maybe not on Wednesday and Friday, just follow us. Or better yet, get the app. <laughs> Peace and blessings, everyone. <laughs>